episode of Coach's Corner. This week we have on Eric Bostillo. He is a registered dietitian. He is also part of the ISSN. Um, I saw him present at the ISSN conference last year, um, and that made me really intrigued to get him on and talk about some of the things that, that he covered within that, and then also just the fact that he uh, does a great job of being able to extrapolate the research and break it down into a, a way that um, you can tell he's worked with people in person, right? It's not, you know, science communicators, science educators, some of them you can tell that they've never worked in person and some of them you can tell they have quite the experience of working with people in person. And, and those are the ones that seem to be able to disseminate the information the best uh, that's digestible. So that's why I wanted to have them on and uh, it was a great conversation. We talked about a lot of really good points in terms of um, understanding the why behind people do what they do within their nutrition and helping them find that dynamic so that they're able to um, melt those two things together so that they can stay on course and have a higher rate of adherence. And then also the idea of like what sustainability looks like within a nutrition plan and, and developing that lifestyle approach to it. And then also just some of the um, regulations of, of nutrition, the, the upsides, the downsides, and everything in between. And I think that those are all important features to, to look at when you're talking about nutrition and dissecting nutrition. So hope you guys enjoy the podcast. If you did, please go to iTunes, leave a review, five-star rating. And then also check us out on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and all the other streaming channels that you guys listen to. Um, it's always greatly appreciated. And then be sure to check out the show sponsors. We have subjectzerosubs.com. Use discount code BEYOND10. Also, CoachesCornerU.com, where we're launching our Coaches Corner certification as an eight-week course that's going to be worth two CEUs, and then you'll get a accreditation from, uh, from us to certify you as a Coaches Corner coach. And um, I think it's one of the most complete, well-rounded educational platforms out there. Very biased, by the way. But I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot of um, education portals and things like that. And I think we're attacking it from a completely different and unique way uh, that will allow you to conceptualize the idea of being a better coach and, and having a better grasp of it. We cover uh, strength training and programming the first four weeks. And the second four weeks, we cover nutrition. And then we also have two hours a week of independent lab studies where you can ask myself or Paul questions based on the content or any question that you have regarding clients or anything that you're running into. Um, so definitely check that out. Pre-sales going on. It's about to end. So make sure you jump on that right away. Also check out baconandbarbells.co, discount code Paul10 to get 10% off of some of the best clothing apparel in strength sports athletics. Hope you guys enjoy the show. We'll catch you next week. All right, guys, we're back with another episode. Today we have on, I should have asked you this before I hit record, but we'll see, Eric Bastillo. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's good enough. <laughs> oh, man, my Colombian side mom would be so proud of me right now to be able to enunciate that somewhat effectively. Uh, Eric is a registered dietitian and a health coach at Marathon Health. Are you still part of Marathon Health? I am, yeah. I'm with Marathon Health still as well. Awesome, awesome. And then you're also... Um, 
ISSN nutrition specialists at the O2X Human Performance? Yeah. So with uh, with O2X, there's the it's it's cool because it's it's police, fire, and military focused. Uh, so a lot of nutrition education that goes on to to that population. And then of course with ISSN, uh, just having the sport nutrition certification and and uh, you know practicing that with professional athletes and recreational athletes and everything in between. That's awesome, man. I'm prior uh, Marine and understanding. We have some friends that are in the firefighters. I have some family members that are in the police force and they take it very seriously, but I have seen <laughs> some of these tactical guys that just eat like shit. And it's like, you're putting your life and everyone else's life at such a risk, but it's just, you know, some people have these bad habits that they can't break out of, even if their life depends on it. Um, so it's cool that a lot of the tactical side of things are getting looked at a lot more within research, within uh, dietetics, within strength and conditioning, and they're starting to take it a little bit more seriously. And, you know, one of the things that I always preach to police officers and firefighters that have to deal with like civilians and, and regular life type of situations that are high stress inoculated is like, get your nutrition in check. So you never feel like you're falling behind but then also practice some self-defense, do some jujitsu, do some Muay Thai. Like don't go out there feeling like you're unprepared. Cause I think that's when you start having all the trouble is you go out there and like, Oh shit, I don't know how to fight. I don't know how to defend myself. And these fucking whoppers that I ate are really slowing me down. So it's, it's, it's really tough to go out there and like be on your P's and Q's when you're, when you're dealing with a lot of that other stuff. Most definitely. That's a big one for <clears throat> police fire, um, uh, military former military you know working with with that population i i really enjoy tactical athletes uh, because when they care enough to do something nothing's gonna stop them yeah you know what i mean um but i say that i throw in that little asterisk of when they care enough because some of them just don't you know uh, they're like yeah i know this and i know that um but when you start seeing statistics like 50% of the, the at work deaths that happen to firefighters being cardiac related, you're like, well, you know, maybe something's got to change. Obviously there's a, it's a high stress job. Right. Um, there, what I tell all of my police, fire and military folks, first responders, I'm like, you're running in when everyone's running out. Um, you, it's like, you don't have that luxury of not being, healthy, strong, fit, and whatnot. I'm now, don't get me wrong. At the end of the day, you do whatever you want. It's your life. Uh, but understand like the weight that comes with the badge or the uniform and, and all of that. Yeah. And I would even go one like, it's not, to me, it's not their life only, right? It's the life of everyone else around them. And I, being inundated with special forces in the Marines, you very rarely saw like fat people like Paul, in the military wow. and stuff. Right. So when we went over to like the mainland and got to see everyone, you're like, Oh shit. Like there's people out there that don't take this job very seriously. And, you know, especially for us being in Iraq and Fallujah and stuff and knowing that like these guys have our backs, it's like, I don't know if I want this person to get my back. Like he can barely, you know, make it up a flight of stairs. <laughs> 
how are you going to go and clear buildings and do raids and, and do these hikes and stuff like that? So it's, it's good that they're taking it more seriously and it's good that they're being a little bit more appreciative of, of the ramifications that a poor diet can have. And then speaking of poor diet and fat, we have Paul on the episode today. Thanks for joining us. Big guy. Hey man, it was tough to get here. You're like um, 10 days out. You're at the fattest and unhealthiest you're going to be for a very long time. Man, I feel fantastic. Well, it's good because you still do cardio and you don't eat like shit. Yeah, it's true. I still uh, still get my 10,000 steps, even when it's minus 30 outside. And um, training's been going really well. I took a lot of what I learned last prep um, and brought it into this one. Add to that, you know, an extra 10 pounds of body weight. And uh, I feel really strong. Just finished up my last squat workout. I'll, I'll squat again, but it won't be anything like anything more than a deload. So squat 300 kilos moved like RP 6.57. Um, so ready, ready to rock. What are you opening with? Probably open around. I'm, I'm going to take it really conservative. Uh, I'll probably open at 300 or 305 and then go 320 or 325 and then take something for, for a bigger PR 320, 3225 is my competition PR, but I've squatted 325, 711. 711. Nice. Yeah, I've squatted 716 in the gym. That's the squat that tore my quad the first time. So if I could you know, go three, I, I think I think I'm good for like 335, 340 based on how I'm feeling. Any um, uh, any trepidation on hitting that number again or going over that number, knowing that you tore your quad last time? No. No, that's good. No, I actually like, I know that this is going to be the last meet I do for a very long time. So I'm just going to, whatever is there on the day, I'm totally happy. I'm going to have as much fun as I can. I'm going to be in Florida. I'm going on vacation afterwards for a few days. So it's just going to be a really fun day. Might be your last meet ever. Are you going to take your shoes off after the deadlift and leave them on the platform? No. Oh, that's what the Russians do when they're done lifting. Yeah, I'm not good at powerlifting anymore. Yeah, but it's it's fun to pretend. What I'm going to do actually is, is I'm going to take my planned third attempt on my second and I'm going to hit it. And then I'm going to call for a third of like 410. And I'm going to go to yank out the, I'll pull out the slack. I'll pull out the slack for a good five seconds and then pretend I tore my hamstring just to limp off and like give a high five to the crowd. Oh, nice. That's a good strategy. <laughs> you got to, you got to kiss the weights and then you got to shake the judge's hand to show your appreciation for what this usually shake the judge's hand, at least the head judge after a third, but man, I'm just, I'm looking forward to having some fun. Yeah. Zero expectations. That's good. That's good. That way you, when and the inevitability of you failing, Hit. Yeah, something's going to happen. And then you're going to go into bodybuilding and completely wreck your psychological makeup of who you are as a human being. So good, good call. Okay, so let's start our conversation with Eric on the psychological part. So one thing that I've been working on myself is like I have a very much all or nothing mentality when it comes to food. I'm either like hitting my macros 100% of the time. But like, if I decide to have a free meal or something like that, I have trouble just having a meal and moving on with myself. I'll usually like continue it on. So 
the last couple of weeks with the holidays and everything like that, I've been like just giving myself permission to have a treat. And then the goal is to have treats more often, but just have a treat and then move on. And I've been doing a great job. Like yesterday I had some chocolate almond bark after my workout. It's delicious. And then I moved on with my day. But something that I've noticed with, so we were talking about tactical athletes and, and the stress response that they have. Uh, Tony and I have had this conversation too, of like the evaluation of stress is if it's not a 10 out of 10, it's a zero. There's no like understanding of, of where that comes in. And something that I've noticed, excuse me, something that I've noticed is because the workplace is so stressful, the avoidance of stress outside the workplace tends to, tends to be kind of a coping strategy. So I think of someone like my father comes to mind who was involved in war as a child. He refuses to eat healthy because he's like, I've been surrounded by death my whole life. I'm going to live my life to the fullest. I'm going to eat whatever the fuck I want. Do you ever deal with that with your, with your tactical athletes or, or tactical populations? And if I, so, I, how do you address it? Yeah, I've seen something similar to that. Um, <clears throat> I'd say the it's maybe not too common in the, in the younger uh, age group of tactical athletes. Older individuals are the folks that have said things like that before. Um, sometimes it's just kind of like, you know, I, I'm not going to sit in front of someone and um, really try to convince them why they should be doing something better for themselves. Uh, I've done that in the past. Um, I'll go over blood work with them and I'll explain what the numbers mean and the potential health risks that come along with them. If they have elevated numbers or something that's not, you know, within normal limits, um, as far as the, the younger tactical athletes, they, they're at least willing to, to listen for the most part, um, in, in people that they tend to be very like, I'm not going to change this just because, you know, I, I don't want to, to, to do this. I, you know, for whatever reason, either they've been around death a lot or they just have this idea that, that I mean, they know that we're all going to die one day. I think we all know that if we deny that, then, you know, we're probably just fooling ourselves. Uh, but <clears throat> in having a conversation with them and helping them just kind of see that where making certain changes could be beneficial. Um, oftentimes they're, they're open to, to incorporating these lifestyle changes. The, the, the setback happens when someone's not ready for some type of a change. Uh, if someone is like fully dead set on not making any kind of changing and not, or not caring at that point, it's almost like, well, maybe one day they'll come around. Uh, and for me as a practitioner, it's kind of come, I, I had to learn pretty early on to say, you know, there's, there's not a lot that you could do for someone that doesn't want to do something for themselves. Right. You know? Yeah. I, I think, especially this time of year with the new year coming up, people are all looking for change. They're like, you know, new year, new you is all we hear all the time. And um, I've kind of taken a step, you know, beyond that. Tony wrote a really nice Instagram post about, you know, knowing yourself and who you are. And 
when we when I speak to my clients and I, I talk to them about their goals, especially on the new year, it comes down to like, what are, what are your true values? We talked about, you know, maybe this person isn't ready for change. Um, but if we can, if we can appeal to their values, if we can appeal to the things that actually matter to them and try to create a link between that and whatever sort of intervention we're looking at and whether it be improving blood work through nutrition, whatever, education goes a long way. But, you know, looking at that person in front of you and learning how to communicate effectively in that, in a way they understand and can internalize, I think that's, that's where the true value is as a, as a coach and as a practitioner. For sure. When someone comes and seeks uh, our help, they're, they obviously care enough to get to that point where they're like, Hey, I want to do something, right. I want to make some kind of a change. Um, They're there's definitely something to uh, practicing with things like compassion and active listening. Uh, one of the, the ways that I practice is using motivational interviewing. Um, and that's something that is very beneficial, uh, even with the tactical athlete population. Um, I mean, sure, you're going to have those guys and girls that sometimes they're just kind of like, look, I know what to do, you know, I'm I'm good. Like, it's okay. Or I'm going to do whatever I want. Um, and yeah, at that point, it's just kind of like, Hey, they, if their mind is set on that, then excellent. But where do we take the conversation afterwards? Like, where do we take the conversation once they're just kind of saying this, that, and the third, uh, what data are we presenting? Are we looking at blood work with them? Uh, are we asking them how do they feel if they have any specific complaints? Uh, how do they feel when they're training or performing? Um, or even just asking them in a very casual conversation, not really not trying to, to trying to kind of hide from them that we're trying to help them or educate them on something, you know, it's like showing them something without them realizing that we're showing them something. It's like mm-hmm. chopping up their vegetables and putting it in their food. So they don't know they're eating vegetables. <laughs> exactly. Which is a funny, funny analogy. Cause you probably could do that. Oh, we're talking about nutrition (laughs) (laughs) for sure. Without a doubt. What's uh? can you describe for people and even myself, motivational interviewing? What what exactly is that? Yeah. So motivational interviewing is a, a a technique, a coaching technique that it allows the, the client or the patient, uh, the person who is seeking to make some kind of a change it reinforces them being in the driver's seat as the coach, as the dietitian or a health coach or a trainer or a strength coach, um, therapist, you know, you could use it with just any discipline really. Uh, it's our responsibility to be able to listen, uh, in a non-judgmental way. So just really listening to hear what feedback they're giving us, asking open-ended questions because we want to hear what story they could tell us. And then being able to continue with empathy moving forward and really try to find out what change it is they're trying to bring about. Because a lot of times, uh, let's just say weight loss. Weight loss tends to be a very common thing. 
they say, yeah, I want to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds or however many pounds, or I want to weigh X pounds or kilos. Um, it's helping them navigate why they want to do that. Really finding their, the why behind what the weight loss means. Um, so motivational interviewing is essentially a way that puts the individual in the driver's seat. And then us as, as coaches, essentially, um, we're the GPS, if you will. We're just kind of like showing them how to get to where it is that they're trying to get to. Um, and oftentimes they already know how to get there. Um, we're just really fine tuning or maybe finding the better route to get there. Uh, it might not necessarily be the faster route, but it'll be the better route because the idea is to bring about uh, permanent change, if you will. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I like that. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And it's kind of what Paul said, right? You're attaching their values or their why to, to what they're doing. So it's a little bit more meaningful than, than just a number on the scale, right? There's a little bit more impact to it. There's a little bit more um, emphasis behind it of, of being able to, and you hear that from like people who talk about habits and building habits is if you can connect a value to it, if you can connect a, a why kind of stack things on top of each other, it's easier to, to build those, those habits. And in a day and age where we're inundated with a lot of, of noise, it's not so much like practical, actual advice. I think that's something that's really powerful for people is to um, express their values, express their, their goals um, in a more meaningful way than, than just the number. And is that something that you try to extract from them a lot of times, especially with the new year, right? Everyone has the goal of trying to lose weight. They have one, they have like this, this guilt of the holidays. And I always tell this to my clients whenever they get done with the competition or me, it's like, look, let's, let's give it a couple of weeks and get back onto like a routine before we make any preemptive decisions on what we want to do, because a lot of them they'll do their competition and they'll go out to eat the entire weekend and they feel like crap on Monday. And they're like, immediately, like, I want to start losing weight. It's like, do you really want to start losing weight? Or do you just feel bad about the situation? Right. So when you're interviewing your, your clients and stuff like that, what's the process go between differentiating like a good goal of, you know, values and why with what you're trying to accomplish, as opposed to a goal that's just number driven, because a lot of people, all they care about is the, the scale and even their values or their why don't supersede that. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of it is it, a lot of it comes with deconstructing. Um, sometimes people just have a number in their head. Maybe somebody told it to them. Maybe uh, they had uh, an emotionally abusive partner, uh, like their, their significant other before, you know, or like their podcast co host or, or your podcast co host. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, things like that can, can really have an impact on people, right? So, like, imagine if uh, the person that you is your confidant, right? You're, you trust in them, they trust in you. Uh, and they tell you, you know, hey, you would look really good at 150 pounds or whatever it might be, or, or however they might say, it. maybe the way that I said it was too nice. Maybe they say it in way worse ways. Right. Um, They're calling me fat all the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> if Olivia does that, I'll have to message her directly and tell her that it's not good. Oh, she, yeah, she's very rude. 
unbelievable. Go ahead, go ahead, Eric. <laughs> no worries. Um, so even something like that can can build this construct, right? So we can we can think we can see ourselves through someone else's eyes. Um, so that's where we start having these goals of oh, I have to weigh one fifty because my you know my ex girlfriend or ex boyfriend or whatever they used to say this and and that number is just stuck in their head because it was just this repetition thing. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of times it comes with like deconstructing someone's programmed uh, beliefs and then trying to really figure out, well, why, why is this number so important? Like, what is it even the number? Like, why do you want to asking why a bunch of times in a way that, that isn't frustrating to the person, right? Because you can say, well, why, 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 why you could say it seven times or nine times or whatever it is, but how we go about it is very important, which is where, the, the next point that I was going to make is that words matter and how we say them matter. So what we're saying is important and how we're saying it is also important when we're talking with people, because especially in a time like now with the new year and people can be hyper-focused on weight loss. Um, it's being able to slow down the conversation and really get down to the root of why they went to, why they want to bring about this change uh, why it's important for them. Um, and then coming up with sustainable ways to do it because I mean, I think just about anyone can lose weight. Um, it's very simple, but in reality, it's not easy to be able to maintain and keep that off with the ways that we've seen, you know, so many different, uh, diet programs out there, uh, quick weight loss kind of solutions, quote unquote. Uh, so, I think that having that conversation and being able to slow things down uh, because someone can go in full force and just being like, this is what I, I have to get done and let's do it. And it's uh, kind of like Paul had mentioned before the all or nothing. Right. Uh, I think that after seeing this enough times, the all or nothing approach um, oftentimes ends up in nothing uh, in the, in the world of, um, uh, pursuing fast weight loss solutions. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's a time and place for all or nothing, but when I see something like that, like someone wants to, you know, lose weight in, in six weeks or whatever it might be, the all or nothing approach really turns into just like a continuous cycle of a very poor relationship with food and with their self image as well which these are things that they're not even working on. They're like, okay, I'll do keto. Keto is easy. If you think about it in theory, don't eat bread, rice, potato, pasta, desserts. Don't eat any fruits except maybe berries because some guy wrote a book and he says, you got to read, you got to eat these things. Right. Cool. Then what ends up happening now they start thinking, Oh shit, bread, rice, potato, pasta, and every fruit that isn't berries is going to be bad for me. I can't eat carbs. Carbs are bad. Carbs are this, carbs are that. Even though they're eating vegetables. And then, hey, did you know vegetables are a carbohydrate? Oh, I had no idea. I thought carbs were bad for you. Well, that alone shows that there's like this, perhaps a cognitive dissonance where we, we don't know what we're doing. But then that goes on and on and on because they do this keto diet for 30 days and maybe they lose 30 pounds in those 30 days. Uh, but then four months later, they've gained 36 and a half pounds and their relationship with food is poor. And then they want to go back to keto because it worked for them. 
but it worked for them in those 30 days where they lost weight. It didn't work for them in those, you know, whatever, four months afterwards. So slowing down the conversation with them is, is really important because it's not sexy to say, Hey, what if you lose 30 pounds in the next two years? That's, that's really funny. One of the questions I ask on my initial intake for nutrition clients is, uh, can you tell me a point uh, in your nutrition where you felt like you had a plan that worked for you? And they'll be like, oh yeah, I did X, Y, Z diet back and whenever. I'm like, cool. So you think it worked for you? And they'll be like, yeah, it's okay. Well, why don't you still follow it? And they're like, oh, well, it wasn't sustainable. I'm like, cool. So we're going to find something that's sustainable. Um, because the way you do any, like the way you achieve any sort of uh, weight loss, weight gain, weight maintenance, anything is going to be the way that you'll have to continue eating in order to maintain the progress. So if you lose weight doing low carb, likely you'll probably have to eat low carb. If it's something you can see yourself doing for the rest of your life, give it, give it a try. Or if, if maybe it's a, a temporary intervention to help improve your blood, your blood sugar, your blood lipids, Maybe, it, maybe it's a worthwhile endeavor, but in an ideal scenario, we're trying to find sustainable habits. And I, I, love, I love that you touched on that. The other, the other area that you touched on was with regards to, you know, talking about values and motivational interviewing, things like that. What these strategies do for me and where I find the best benefit for my clients is it, it gives them autonomy because they're the ones driving the ship at this point. They have control over the process. And when they feel they have control, there's no more anxiety. There's no more fear. It's like, oh, I, I got this. Like, I'm doing this for me. These are the things that I've identified that I need to be doing. It makes it much easier to envision success in that way, right? Yeah, for sure. I think that uh, um, something that's, that's big in that part is, because that's something that it's also important to, to ask people when, when we're starting to work. Uh, together or if we've already been working together and, and we just continue is what does success look like to you like what does your life look like when you do or reach or achieve x y or z thing uh what what does it really look like because i mean the three of us know that sustainability is huge when people ask what's the best diet right it's it's the one that you can continue hearing yeah, adherence is the right? only thing that matters. Yeah, that's and that's the most important thing. Whatever you can continue doing consistently uh, is going to be the best thing for you. Um, it's it's the navigating through that process that I find myself reminding people: Hey, it's not sexy. It's not going to be this exciting thing where you're losing five pounds every single week. Like, lose your attachment to the scale. Right. So learning how to do that, learning how to eat a freaking vegetable with a lot of my guys, like males specifically, I can't tell you how many times I'm trying to get them to just eat vegetables as, as one of their like action plan goals. Yeah. Sure. Their desired outcome is potentially weight loss or weight maintenance. Uh, once they lose that weight, maybe it's improved LDL cholesterol, which is like bad cholesterol. Maybe it's improved blood sugar just improved energy levels. But step number one is just eat a vegetable because they're eating this many per week. Right. Yeah. So when it comes to like stuff like that, right, because especially now at the new year, everyone releases these stupid, like 
lose 30 pounds in 30 days and weight loss challenges. And the thing that I I hate about those type of things is that it it makes it such a deadline driven propaganda, right? Agenda that what do you do after that? You know, oh, this is a six week challenge. I can, and I get it because it's like, I can wrap my head around this. I can wrap my head around dieting for six weeks. And that creates this tunnel vision of like, this is what I need to do for six weeks. And then once the six weeks is over, it's like, I'm done. Like I got to my goal. And, and but then how do you, how do you build that sustainability within their program? Even from like a, someone, let, let's just say someone followed your weight loss plan to a T and they, they lost weight, but their calories are in a spot where it's not sustainable. Maybe they're entering into that energy availability deficit, the red syndrome and all that other stuff. How do you, cause that's one of the things I always think about is like, yeah, we can get you to your goal, but once we get you to your goal, we may have to bring your calories back up to reach a sustainable point, And then that's no longer your goal weight. How do you go about one talking to them? And then also the actionable steps of how do you actually get people out of that deficit where they reach their goal, they're on this dopamine driven high and you're like, okay, cool. We reached your goal. Now let's maintain and, and try to build back up. How do you get people to stay on board with that? Because it's no longer that tunnel vision anymore. Yeah, that's a really good question or a good, a good couple of questions. Um, a very important part of it is setting expectations from the beginning. Um, I, I'm a fan of communicating um, I can perhaps be an over communicator, um, uh, including, you know, clients and patients and whatnot. Uh, so setting expectations from the beginning and helping them understand certain things like, Hey, you know, right now, if we're working towards a particular goal of, uh, weight loss, and we know exactly what that's, that looks like then having this expectation of, look, this is what we're going to be doing together. But you need to also understand like these calories, even though they're, they're, you're in a deficit to help get the weight to come down, that's not going to be your long-term forever calories. Uh, because a part of the process is also explaining to them that ideally for weight loss, ideally we would do it on as many calories as possible. Um, instead of going on some kind of like 800 calorie plan or something, you know, ridiculous like that for someone who should probably be consuming, I don't know, 2000 calories. Let's just say, um, maybe we can go onto 1700 calories. If 2000 calories are their maintenance. Um, this is also assuming that they don't have to reach this weight by a particular time. Uh, I've worked with NFL football players that they had to reach a particular weight by a particular time. Uh, they had to either gain or lose. So that's something that's a little bit different. Uh, if the person has quote unquote all the time in the world, then it's nice to take that slow and steady approach where it's like, all right, if your maintenance calories are 2000, just making up these numbers. Um, yeah. Can, can we go down to 13 or 1400? Yeah. Technically we can, we prioritize protein, um, make sure that you even continue lifting weights while you're doing that. Um, is that going to be ideal? Probably not. Right. So if 2000 is your maintenance, 
I'm going on the conservative route of thinking like, hey, let's try maybe 1700 calories, right? So let's get you into a 300 calorie deficit to see what we could do there. But again, always setting expectations and communicating the importance of, well, you're not going to be at, the, at this number forever. Like you have to understand that your metabolism, it's not just like this one size fits all kind of thing. Um, we also have to recognize that we have to make changes however necessary or wherever needed. So just because this is the number that we're doing right now in the future, that number is not more than likely it's absolutely going to change. And even considering when you reach that, that goal weight of, you know, whatever the weight is, uh, let's also consider that we, we have to find a way to make sure that you're maintaining your, your weight loss, but also consider all the other things that your calories are going to impact hormonal function, right. From your immune, uh, system to your sex hormones and your thyroid hormones and all the other things, uh, there in between, uh, just overall energy levels, cognitive abilities. I mean, these are things that we have to, to think about, right. Bone health and all of that stuff. So even communicating these things to people from an early stage, I think it's important for them to recognize that, Hey, we're going to get you into a deficit, but you're not going to be in a deficit for the rest of your life. And this is the difference, right? Like just kind of like Paul had mentioned before, well, someone did X, Y, or Z diet. Well, what's going to end up happening is it worked for a short period of time. They lost the weight, but it wasn't sustainable for them. This is the same thing, right? We're going to do something that's more than likely not going to be sustainable in the number of calories, but the approach is probably going to be quite sustainable in that you're not over restricting foods or those sorts of things. Um, basically this whole spiel that I just went on was just showing that it's like, uh, being able to communicate to people that there's a, uh, uh, there's something to embracing the, the, the boring, if you will, right? Like it's not going to be the most exciting thing. It's not going to be the fastest thing. Um, but look at the things that you've done in the past, assuming that this is a, a repeat dieter, you know, like what, what have you been doing over the last X amount of years? Um, something that I often tell people is in pursuit of finding the fastest way to lose weight, we end up making it the longest way possible, you know, with, with, so much like uh, fad diets from the seventies and onward or whatever it was like I have worked with and currently still work with people who are maybe let's say somewhere between 40 and 65 years old and they have started or they started going on some kind of weight loss uh, uh, diet or regimen when they were as early as maybe eight years old not knowing what they were doing. Maybe they were just following like what their, their mom was doing and they thought they did something, you know, together with them and it was going on a freaking diet. And then now they're 40 to 65 years old and they've not found what works for them. And then here they are coming to me. Right. And it's like, all right, we have a lot to, to unravel here. So having that conversation, um, that, that, that's what, this is basically a long-winded answer to say that, we have to have these boring conversations, setting expectations from the beginning, because if not, 
people are going to continue on the same cycle. And in reality, if they say, hey, I'm going to do this and make this change over the next year, a couple of years and do something that's going to last me forever, they're not going to be on a diet every other, you know, God knows how often. And then it ends up taking even longer. Yeah, no, very good points. And that's something that it's something that I think about a lot, right? It's like as a coach, one, it's like the health ramifications of a diet, right? Sometimes I think like, yeah, the slow and steady process of having them in a deficit is going to bring about more sustainability. But we also know once you start calorie restricting, there's a lot of down regulations within maybe the quality of life, the hormones and, and stuff like that. So it's that fine balance of like, hey, you know, we can push a deficit for X amount of time that may not necessarily get us to the goal, the long-term goal, but it's going to get us, eventually it'll get us to that goal, feeling the best, performing the best that we've ever done before. So like you said, having that open communication with them is something that I feel, especially when you're thinking of like performance athletes, it's like, I'd rather them be in a surplus say eight months out of the year, then in a deficit eight months out of the year, if their main goal is performance, right? And most people that I work with is performance-driven athletes, but they have the opposite opinion, right? They want to be in a deficit. They always want to be leaner. They always want to be losing weight. So I always think about that communication aspect and, and being able to distinguish some of that stuff to them. How do you have any, or have you seen any type of set deadlines, so to speak, right? That you found to be useful in terms of diet in maintenance surplus that allows them to get to their goals in a long-term manner, but doesn't allow for a lot of down regulations. And is that something that you do, or do you just diet them until they get to where they, they want to go. Like, what are some of the things that you do in terms of that? Um, and, and what are some of the markers that you look at to know when you're like this diet, it's been going on a little too long and we need to start doing things. Yeah. I, I don't usually have a specific like set time to, you know, this has to happen by this particular date. Um, and I think that that's because there's a lot of uh, conversation that happens. Um, I'm, I'm not solely focusing on what the, the scale is doing and where the, the number is ending up at. Um, and in those conversations that I'm having with them, it's sometimes we might not even discuss anything that has to do with weight. Sometimes our, our check-in or our follow-up is going to be, well, how was your doctor's visit? And then like, in that entire time that we're, we're talking for a half hour or one hour, however long we're talking for, um, it's basically finding ways to help them feel a little bit more relaxed from when they went to go see the doctor, you know, or if they're going to go see the doctor and they're nervous because the doctor has like fat shamed them before. Um, and that's what I'm saying. What we say, (laughs) you know, so it's, it's interesting to, to see how some, some things just kind of like how things unravel. You know, I, I remember there was this one patient of mine specifically and they just, they were dreading going to see, I think it was their cardiologist. 
and the car, they were just like, I already know what they're going to tell me. And, you know, I get nervous before I even go because they're, they're going to say something about my weight. And mind you, this individual, like they're working on making progress. Um, it's not, you know, going on some highly restrictive plan or anything. Like they've been working with me for a little bit of time and, and they were just pretty stressed out about going to see the doctor. So the majority of that conversation was just kind of like helping them feel a little bit more empowered, helping them see that they've made progress and changes uh, moving forward. And they have certainly improved. Their doctor may not see that progress, but it was essentially trying to give them like that strength to be able to tell the doctor like, hey, you're not going to shit on me in today's hey, appointment, basically. Doctor. Fuck you, buddy. <laughs> Fuck you, doctor. P- pretty That's much. Not- yeah, exactly. pretty much. <laughs> um, so, you know, I don't, I don't really use like specific dates or, or markers, um, but there is continuous following up and I'm looking at weight. Uh, if we're looking at, at specific weight loss as like the, one of the main outcomes that we're looking for, I am looking at weight on a regular basis. Um, I'll look at their overall macronutrients, like how much they're taking in, what's happening with their weight on a regular basis. Also, uh, if they're measuring themselves, sometimes they might have access to something like an in-body or just some kind of body composition machine. So I'll take a look at body fat, muscle mass, um, dry lean mass, and potential like water fluctuations and whatnot, Uh, and also measurements. You know, so if they're measuring around their, their belly button, around their hips and their butt, um, arm, chest, looking at those kinds of things. Um, if I ever see that something just kind of, if a measurement just like stops as far as like, if their weight has been stuck for some time, uh, then it's time to just kind of overall reevaluate, uh, what we're doing and what, what can we do differently to help with getting that to start moving again? Has something changed in their non-exercise activity? Uh, did they begin having a little bit more stress? And then because of that stress now, as a result, they're starting to eat a little bit more. Uh, do they feel safe in talking with me about it? Because they might, you know, some people can be afraid. We're like, oh man, you know, my, my coach, uh, my dietitian, my, they, they might judge me because I didn't stick to the plan. So or they don't want to disappoint you or exactly. all the things that they build inside their head for sure. Having that open communication and that freedom to have open communication, which is something that I do pretty well with my clients, I hope, but something that I severely lack when it comes to in-person real life relationships, which I've been told several times. So, you know, there's that. I think you're fine. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate no that. <laughs> now, have you found like, negative not so much like maybe numbers to reach but like how do you have that talk with them of negative without fear mongering but like negative detrimental effects of dieting and being like hey i know you think that dieting and losing weight is going to make you healthier and it's going to do this and it will do all that but there's a point where it's going to start to diminish how do you have that talk without fear mongering the idea of weight loss and diet and being unhealthy as well? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I'm very straightforward, uh, but 
my conversations come from a place of caring about the person who's sitting in front of me. Um, it's almost like I, I almost automatically assume that the people that I'm talking with, they have some type of uh, some kind of issue or, or uh, perhaps a negative relationship with their food in some way. Um, so I kind of go into it thinking that. Uh, and then I also consider the potential uh, uh, downfalls of things like just overall diet culture and even past conversations that I've had. I take all of this with me when I go and speak with one new person or a group of individuals. Um, so being, being mindful of what I'm saying to, to people, like the questions that I'm asking and the things that I say, again, words matter. So paying attention to what I'm saying is an important part and not just kind of like spitting shit out. Um, I think it's important for us to really care about what we're saying and how we're saying it. So having a conversation around um, weight loss and understanding that there's nothing wrong with intentional weight loss. Uh, it's okay to pursue that. <clears throat> um, it's also okay to reflect for a moment and understand why you want to do it. Um, somewhere, you know, from a societal standpoint, and these are things that I'll say in conversations with, with patients and clients, um, from a societal standpoint, the ideal woman is a freaking Kardashian who, you know, maybe got like surgery or whatever, and Hey, respect to them. But as long as people understand that it's probably not a natural look, then cool. And then for men, it's like, uh, the epitome became like the rock or something along those lines, which, Hey, I think Kardashians and the rock, they maybe look great in their own right and whatnot, but that's not the norm. So communicating things like that with people, I think, is also important. Um, so helping them come to understand why they're trying to do what they want to do um, in a way that's encouraging of bringing about change, but at the same time, making sure that they understand that there's nothing wrong with wanting to lose weight or gain muscle mass or those kinds of things. Because now we see that diet culture has messed with people's minds and the anti-diet culture is like... You're, you're, this pendulum is just swinging one way and the other, and it's confusing the crap out of people. So I think having an open conversation and, and willing to be straightforward with people, but practicing with a crap ton of empathy is, is huge. Yeah. And that Tony, just because you shaved your head doesn't mean you can be the rock. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, this, this is not my choice. Trust me. If I, if I had a full head of hair, I'd, I could not shave my head at all, but that's just the way life, life is uh, chosen. I think redefining the norm is, is something that's very important for people because a lot of people jump on this fitness journey, right? And they start following their favorite lifters or their favorite people that they look up to. And a lot of them have to, one, like, financial means they have the financial means to hire all these coaches to get all this surgery and, and take all these drugs and, and look a certain way. And, um, and then you follow your favorite lifters and your favorite athletes and they look a certain way. And you're like, man, these, these are the way I should, I should look right. This is, this is what it should be like. And, uh, and that's a hard thing to differentiate. Like I have to go to Walmart at least once a week to really understand like the norm of what people actually look like. So I feel better about myself. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, so I'm not a fat, disgusting slob. 
And then you leave Walmart and you're like, then you get back on Instagram. You're like, oh no, I need to lose weight again. You're still a fat, disgusting slob. You're just it's not that fat and disgusting. Right, right. Exactly. So yeah. that's as long I mean, as you're honest with each other, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> honest communication is what this relationship's built upon. <laughs> But yeah, redefining that norm is, is so important. And I, I harp on this a lot. Like, I love that ESPN does this body image magazine. They do it like once mm. a year where they showcase all these different bodies and um, what elite performers look like. And they don't all look like the ripped guy on Instagram. There's this, uh, I started getting into endurance stuff this past year. And I started following a lot of endurance athletes and stuff like that. And um, this one place, uh, it's in St. Pete's like St. Pete running company or something like that. They just posted a picture of this athlete on getting a VO two max and had all this stuff on them. And they were like, you may not be able to tell based on the body type of this athlete, but this is one of the best ever at ultra endurance triathlons and Ironmans. And it was Jan Ferdano, who's one of the best endurance athletes of all times. And you couldn't really tell. Right. It was like, oh, it looks like a, a normal guy. Maybe has, you know, maybe has that like skinny fat look to him, but he's one of the best athletes in the world. And to me, that type of stuff is very, I guess it, it should be portrayed a little bit more honestly, but you don't have that. So when you are trying to normalize this for people and they have these unrealistic expectations and these unrealistic biases that um, they may be inundated with through past negative relationships through social media how do you i mean how do you find that line between helping them get through that knowing that you're not a psychologist and a therapist and and helping them get through that as a nutritionist and and things like that like how do you do that because it's a tough one it is it really is tough and they'll they'll definitely uh come together uh oftentimes because it's it's hard to separate these things. You know, when someone tries to tell me something like, you know, I say sleep is more important than, than your nutrition and your training. I say, no, like not one thing is more important than the other. Um, so when it comes to conversations like this, I make sure that they understand I, I full disclosure. I'm like, listen, I'm not a licensed mental health counselor or therapist or anything like that. Um, but I do think it's important that we discuss where these relationships come from. Uh, where these uh, ideas uh, or perceived uh, images of success, uh, where this comes from as well, because that's going to impact the food choices that they're making, because they're, they're going to see this person on freaking TikTok uh, doing some stupid recipe in a blender. And then they, they start trying it too, because the person doing it is either sponsored by a company or they already look great or maybe both. Uh, and they're drinking some nasty kind of shake thing or something. Um, so being able to communicate with them about like, look, we have to understand that there are trusted sources of information. Um, that's an important part of it. Going into this, just know that I am your partner in this, right? Like I'm, I'm helping you moving forward through it all. So if you have questions or doubts, don't hesitate to reach out to me. And in a part of that, I... I teach them to ask themselves certain questions or, you know, ask themselves question of what they're seeing on social media. Um, and just kind of like learning to decipher bullshit basically, uh, is an important part of it all. 
when like this that question tony brought up like a conversation i actually had recently with one of my clients and it was a female client and she said paul i want to have abs for the first time in my life and i said okay and she said do you think it's possible and i said is it possible yes I, I truly think that if you dieted hard enough for long enough you could have abs and i said but is having abs something that's going to serve you long-term or be something that's sustainable? I don't know. You've been overweight your entire life. You've never had abs before. You're over 30 years old. To get there, what's going to be required is likely some sustained, very drastic measures. And then in order, when we get there, we'll, like, we'll be in a position where we have to get you back up to a healthy state you may not be able to maintain having those abs. So if you're willing to commit a year or more in the endeavor of just having abs, yeah, we can go ahead and do that. But does that really fit with your long-term goals in terms of continuing to compete in strength sports, continuing to have a balanced life where you can enjoy things um, such as meals out with friends? Because the reality is there are sacrifices that come along with these very drastic goals. Like think about, you know, bodybuilding and figure, figure competitors. That's not healthy, but it's portrayed as this ideal of physical like beauty that, you know, yeah, you're supposed to be super jacked and ripped all the time. Maintaining that is not a healthy practice, nor can many people achieve that without sacrificing, um, a lot of the things that they value day to day, like to be as to like when I got as lean as I possibly could, there's no way I could go have a meal with my friends. There's no way I could, you know, go out and enjoy a night where I get poor sleep because I have to wake up and go do cardio the next day and do all these things that were required of me to continue having the physique that I, I wanted to achieve. Um, and for some people, they're willing to make those sacrifices for some, they're not. And I think being realistic with them about what's required is important. So I love that, you know, you shoot things straight and you say, hey, this is the reality of the situation. And if they still want to do it, here's the question. If they still want to do it and you know that it's probably un unhealthy and the likelihood of them being successful isn't high, do you still help them? Or how do you help them? Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I've found with myself is, um, I will either just tell people, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. If it's something that I think is not beneficial for them, if it's, it's, a, if it's this like self-serving, no, there's no like long-term health benefit to it kind of thing. Like I've had people just, I've had people ask me to sign off on papers for them to, to do a weight loss surgery. You know what I mean? Like I've had people you know, asking me to, Hey, look, I, I got to be ready for this thing and lose 20 pounds in the next 21 days. I'm like, no, you know? So I think as a practitioner, it's also being able to say no to these individuals. Um, and then if we decide to say yes, and we have to ask ourselves, well, is this something I really want to take on? Why do I want to take on this? How would mm -hmm. I help this person? Uh, and what is helping this person going to look like? Yeah. With that, with that one client, she actually was like, okay, thank you very much for telling me that I'd rather just focus on, you know, 
improving my habits and structure and losing weight slowly over time. And if I get there, I get there, but I want to keep doing the things that I love doing. I was like, sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but I did have to have another conversation with another athlete. She perpetually, she has to compete under a weight class and it's been three times in a row. We'll get her there. We'll get her to that body weight. And then she'll disappear for like a month, come back 20 pounds heavier. And she's like, Hey, I'm competing again in 14 weeks. Got to lose that 20 pounds. Is what I would say. Pardon? Is a shitty coach is what I would say. Why do you do that? Well, this time I said, no. Um, in the last, the last time I said no, and she promised me it wouldn't happen. And she did it again. She did it again. So what do you I got with her. On there? Oh, there's, there's a lot going on. She's a, she, she works. She's actually a first responder. So her, her sleep schedule is horrendous. And um, she is very, very regimented. So when she has a goal, her adherence is hundred percent, no matter what, as soon as that goal is gone, she has no ability to coast, to maintain. So it's, it's that all or nothing behavior. And so I got with her strength coach and together we had a conversation with her about, you know, this is not, and this is a young girl, right? Like she's, I think in her mid twenties, um, like this is not serving your health long-term. This is not serving your career long-term, right? If you want to be at your best to save people's lives, you can't keep doing this with your own health. And always having this deadline to be under this weight is perpetuating the over-restriction and binging behavior. So if you want to do this competition, we have to do it in a way where you're on point, but we have some freedom. And then we slow, we work on your habits throughout this process so that when you're done with that competition, we don't have the same cycle repeat itself. And this time I told her if it happens again, I just won't work with her. Hmm. Have you ran into anything like that, Eric, where you build all these habits, you do all this stuff, and it still doesn't turn out to be successful? And if you have, how do you deal with that as a coach? Cause like, I'm sure Paul sees that as like somewhat of a failure, right? Yeah, oh, for I sure. Or a coach, I would be like, yep. man, why can't I fucking get this right? Why can't I help this girl out? Because I see the destructive path that she's on and I can't figure out why she keeps doing it. And that would just, that would really. It, eat it eats me. away at me. Cause she's such a, a great person. She's an amazing athlete. Um, I mean, she competes in strong man naturally. And has finished top five with Arnold, you yeah. know, like she's a, an incredible athlete, but just got to break through. Right. Have you dealt with anything like that, Eric? Yeah, most definitely. And, um, uh, I think it's important to remind ourselves that, uh, even though it's a part of what we're trying to do and it's, it's a part of our problem, uh, it's not our fault, yeah. uh, as coaches, um, you know, I, I, uh, really early on in my career, I had to learn to, to deal with, with people like this, where like, they might either be manipulative or, um, they just wanted something very specific and it was either maybe something very superficial and not like health related, or they didn't really want to make a change. They just wanted to lose those 10 pounds as fast as they possibly can. Um, 
So something that I, I would remind myself, and even to this day, I still will, is that I'm, I'm, as someone's coach, it's not my responsibility to fix or solve the problem. Like we're, we're there to help people. If they don't reach their particular goal, it's not on us, uh, at least not 100% fully. And that was hard for me to, to grasp, you know, because it was like, they're trusting me. Like, I know what I'm doing and, you know, why can't we just have this long-term success? Um, but in reality, we can be the world's greatest coach. And sometimes we're just not going to be able to, to get down to the bottom of it. Um, and sometimes we're, we're a part of their process where, you know, how sometimes like people hear something a million times and in that million and one time it finally clicks, maybe we're a part of that million. And then somewhere, somehow it could be in the stupidest way. They read something on a freaking news article or something ridiculous that was like, Oh crap. Then everything that they heard all throughout finally made sense. And then eventually they finally make that long-term change. Uh, but we never know how or when that's that's going to happen. I just think that we often see some good breakthroughs with people with the coaching techniques, like really listening to them and kind of like how Paul was mentioning before, like you speak with the person and if if you communicate to them and everything makes sense and they decide that, hey, you know what, it's not worth it for me to try to have those those six pack abs, then excellent. Like we're able to empower them with recognizing that they are enough. They're working on something that they enjoy and they're, they're getting better at these things that they're working on. Um, the, the idea of abs, it's maybe something that came from something they saw on social media or whatever it is. Um, I think reminding ourselves that we make more of an impact than we don't uh, is also important, especially as coaches and getting through things like that, because, you know, ultimately, uh, I like that saying of you could only lead a horse to water and you can't make it drink. Some people may not like it, um, but I like it because it, it's, it's the truth in that there's only so much that we can do. It's not our responsibility to spoon feed people and to be the person that completely changes the way that they see certain things. Uh, oftentimes if they're not ready for it, we're here for it, right? We're here to rise up to the challenge and hopefully we can change these things. Um, but if we don't, I think it's important for us to not take it personally and analyze what, what did I do? What could I have done and what could I do better perhaps on the next time around with someone else? Yeah. I like that. It's a balance to be had because like, I'm a big believer in, in ownership of the process. Like if my client can't follow a plan, I take, I don't, I don't necessarily take it personally, but I look at it as like, okay, this is my fault that they can't follow the plan because I didn't make a plan that they could follow. Right. How you, like you, you, so you can't lead, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. No, but you could put some flavoring in that water. You could package that water in a really fancy glass that makes it exciting. You could I've got issues if you flavor it. Okay. Listen, you saying it up your ass. Just saying. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I just drank, I just drank a diet Sprite. So I think I'm doing okay. Um, um yeah, your, your blood glucose is like 150 right now. I'll just take more metformin. Okay. Um, so that to me is like a balance between 
I can't care about this person's goals more than they care about their goals. But I also want to own the process as much as I can. So I like that you took it, took it back to, you know, did I do my best? What can I learn from this for next time? And then the next time this happens is, did I do better than the last time I was in the same situation? For sure. That's how you learn as a coach. Definitely. Yeah. But the analytical process of trying to become a better coach never ends, even through your successes. And it's tough, man, because like the more I'm, I'm very much a side hobbyist in, in psychology and the more I, I get into it, the more I realize how much trauma and how much insecurity we all have as, as human beings. And we're trying to overcome a lot of that as, as coaches. And it's so hard to do. And, you know, I think that the stigma behind therapy is, is starting to get like brushed aside now. And it's starting to get a lot more notoriety, especially in the athletic endeavor with um, all the stuff that's gone on with like the Simone Biles and, and the, the people that are having the, the mental health issues and stuff like that. And there's just so much we as people have to overcome due to our childhood, due to the way people have treated us. And, you know, I think sometimes it would be better to, you get somebody that comes to you and be like, look, you know, maybe like 80% of the people, 90%, maybe even a hundred need some type of therapy before they can even consider some type of a nutritional intervention, because there's something inside of them that's not going to allow them to, to be successful. And I think I don't know if there's, if there's much talk about that, but the idea of, of pairing therapy with nutrition interventions should be something that would be, I, that I would think should be looked at pretty heavily because I think there's, there's so much to that and there's so much to the trauma and, and the insecurity that people bring to um, questionnaires and, and why they want to do things. And um, I don't think that gets talked about enough. So I, I think that being able to do that would be very impactful for people. Well, shameless plug, Tony, did you know that in our Coaches Corner University certification, we talk about the nutrition, the psychology of nutrition? But it's not, it's not the same thing. It is not the same. Live, live now on pre-sale, everybody. <laughs> right, Paul, Paul's gone, you've gone to therapy, right? Oh, I've been in, I've gone to therapy. I went like probably seven years ago for about a year. And then I continue to go, uh, you know, weekly or bi-weekly since 2019. Yeah, and Eric, have you done any therapeutic interventions or anything like that? I have, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I saw a therapist um, a couple of years ago now, I would say. Maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, and yeah, it's something I'm an advocate for. it. And I, uh, I think mental health is something that's very important to talk about, especially in the tactical athlete population. Oh, um, yes. And uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm a huge, I'm a huge fan of it. I think that it can, it can help us out. And I... I think we often think that something has to be wrong with us for us to go and pursue it, you know, for whatever it's worth, like one, that couldn't be further from the truth Two, when I went to go see someone, I wasn't having, I wasn't going through any like family or or big issues. I wasn't having thoughts or feelings of depression or anxiousness or anxiety. Uh, I didn't have thoughts or feelings of, of harming myself or harming others. To me, it was just more like a, just like a, a like mental flossing in a way. It was like, you know, can, can I go see someone to maybe help me just be better? Maybe there are certain things that I can't see because I'm so close to myself that maybe they can help me with certain changes or, or just bring something to light that can help me out. Um, that's why I still go now. That, that, for sure. That's exactly why I still go. 
like I, st I started when I was going through my divorce and uh, you know, once I got through that and I just saw the value and how better understanding myself and the way I think, the way I feel, the way I act and how that you know, shapes my reality, man, I'm, I'm never going to stop going to therapy. It's the best. No. So Eric, last, uh, last question here, unless Paul has anything with the new year and stuff going on. Do you, do you do that? Do you have resolutions or goals, um, for yourself? And, and if so, like, what's one of the biggest things that you're trying to accomplish this year? Uh, no, no resolutions. I've never been a resolution kind of person. Um, but as far as like specific goals or, or doing things different this year, uh, learning a little bit more about finances, which is something that it's not, uh, we're not really taught that in school and whatnot, uh, uh, especially if you've studied science. Uh, so learning a little bit about that, especially as we get older, and, uh, you know, we'll retire one day and so on and so forth. So learning those kinds of things. Uh, and something that I think is kind of fun that I'm doing is I'm going to log or track every single uh, fitness related thing that I do. Uh, because I'm curious to see at the end of the year, how many power cleans did I do? How many miles did I run? Uh, what was like, how many heartbeats did I do in every workout? I think it's just going to be a cool piece of well, data cool. yeah. by the end of the 365 days, how many steps I took. And uh, I have an in-body, so I'm, I'm going to, I haven't decided how often I'm going to do it, but also to track my in-body and just kind of like have that information and, and, you know, maybe put it out on social media or something. Uh, but yeah, th that's pretty much that, you know, keep on kicking ass and taking names and doing what I'm doing, helping people and um, continue to make a positive impact and try to make the world a better place is, is really my, my thing. Yeah. I assume based on that, you have a fucking sweet Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's, it's sweet. So daunting. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's sweet, but I have a, I have a, a spreadsheet. <laughs> Nice. Well, Eric, we're really appreciative of your time. Uh, thank you for coming on and, and chatting with us and entertaining um, our questions and, and our stupidity throughout the conversation. We really appreciate it. If, uh, if people want to follow you or people want to work with you, how can they get a hold of you? What are some ways that people can keep up with the stuff that you're doing? I think the best way is on social media uh, at Eric Bustillo, E-R-I-K-B-U-S-T-I-L-L-O uh, on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm not really on, I'm not on TikTok. I'm not like on Snapchat and those things. Um, I don't have a website, not yet. Maybe I'll make that happen this year. Who knows? Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I think Instagram is probably the best place. I'm pretty good at answering DMs and stuff. Uh, yeah. Awesome, man. Appreciate your time and uh, have a great weekend and have a, or a week and have a great rest of the, the 2022. Thank you, guys. Thanks Hopefully, so I'll see you guys at ISSN uh, 2022 in Fort Lauderdale. Hopefully. Good.
Built this dream